This is a revolution of the mind. Of the mind. This is a revolution of the mind. The following episode is dedicated to Pastor Chuck Obremski, who's now in heaven, and his surviving family. I heard a story not too long ago about a man who, was, who worked in a post office and his job was to process all the mail that had undeliverable addresses. And one day a letter came to his desk. It was addressed in shaky handwriting to God. And so he looked at this and he thought, boy, I better open this up and see what it's all about. And he opened it and this is what he read. It says, Dear God, I'm an 83-year-old widow living on a very small pension. Yesterday someone stole my purse. It had $100 in it which was all the money that I had until my next pension check. Next Sunday is the 4th of July, and I invited two of my friends over for a barbecue. Without that money, I have nothing to buy food with. I have no family to turn to. You're my only hope. Can you please help? Well, this guy felt really bad about it. He began to show everybody and his, all his co-workers what he had seen, and so they gathered together, and they began to take up a collection for this woman. And they came up with $96, and they were all excited. They put it in an envelope. They had the return address, so they ran over to her house anonymously. They snuck it underneath the doormat, pressed the doorbell, and left. And sure enough, uh, they felt great about what had happened. So 4th of July comes and goes, and the postal worker sees this letter. And again, it's written in the same writing, same return address. So he gathered everybody together. And this is what he read. Dear God, how can I ever thank you for what you've done for me? Because of your generosity, I was able to fix a lovely dinner for my friends. We had a very nice day, and I told all my friends how wonderful you are and about your wonderful gift. P.S. There was $4 missing. It was probably those thieves down at the post office. we depend solely on our parents. As we grow older, we tend to rebel and become independent from them. Later on, many times, the relationship is restored. This isn't the rule, but it is common. Much of the time, it's great from day one. We respect and love our parents and remain close with them until the very end. For others, reconciliation never happens. Life. We awaken. We eat. We work. We eat again. We sleep. We wake up in the middle of the night and eat some more. Then, we try to find time to exercise. Each day is another repetition. We work at this job doing such and such task. We move to that job doing yet another task. Life. If only I could lose a few pounds. If only I could get this job. If only I could get this person to love me. If only I could drive that car. If only my parents would accept me. 
If only I could live in one of those houses. If only they'd respect me. If only. Life. We go to school. We make friends. We finish school. Most of us. We leave and we're thrust into this unforgiving world. We now have co-workers. The friends of our youth tend to drift to different places with different people doing different things. Life. If only I'd done things differently. If only I knew then what I know now. If only I hadn't said that. If only this didn't happen. If only. Life. We've all got our own starring roles. We've all got our own tragedies. We laugh. We cry. We contemplate. We strive. We hope. We pray, some of us. We have our ups and we have our downs. We're happy, we're sad. For some it's steady, for others it's a roller coaster. Many say, wow, what a difference a day makes. Others can be caught up in a rut for years. Life. If only he understood me. If only she'd let me in. If only they knew. If only I knew. Life. What does it all mean? The philosophers have thought on it for years. People, supposedly, have climbed exceedingly high peaks to talk to this guru or that monk or whoever looking for the answer. What is the meaning of life? What is its purpose? We live. We have life. But what is a life worth living? What does it look like? You tell me at comments at a revolution of the mind.net. And I want to give you a little bit of background. As Mark mentioned, I was born and raised in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. And at the time, it was a tough steel town that took pride in its blue collar hard-drinking, kind of riotous living reputation. In fact, Bugs Bear, who was a sports writer in town to cover the Steelers, once wrote of Pittsburgh, he said this, its two favorite beverages are a shot and a beer. And it says, it's the only place I've ever been where canaries sing bass and restaurants serve broken leg of lamb. And I like that because in, in our young, my young days, our family lived uh, right outside of the steel mills on the south side in the shadow of the mills. My stepfather dropped out of high school. He ran a Golden Glove boxing clinic. And uh, it was no surprise to be awakened on a, on a daily basis in a basement where we had our speed bag and our heavy punching bag and hear my stepdad down there working out on the bag. And that was kind of our alarm clock to let us know a new day has begun. And uh, in that particular area, sports was huge, loved sports, every sport that you can think of, that's what we did, Uh, especially in southwest Pennsylvania, uh, football was huge, and some of the athletes that came out of there, we've got a cross-section of people that are here today, but, you know, names like uh, Joe Namath and Johnny Unitas, Len Dawson, Mike Ditka, Tony Dorsett, Jim Kelly, Dan Marino, uh, Joe Montana were all people that called Pittsburgh home at one point. 
Uh, we had the you know, Pittsburgh uh, Pirates at the time at Three Rivers Stadium. Before that was Forbes Field. And when I was a kid, I'd go watch Roberto Clemente play baseball and just watch him go dig a ball out of right field, turn and throw on a dime to home plate. You know, he didn't have to hit four guys, you know, to get it to the plate. He actually could throw it from, you know, the outfield to the plate. And we've got a guy, Vladdy Guerrero, who reminds me a lot of Roberto. And to go out and we would mimic him and you'd be out, you know, and you lived on a dead end streak and you'd be out there and you'd turn around and fire a rock at a telephone pole and, you know, kind of grew up that way, you know, and, and, and basketball courts would be out in the wintertime, would shovel the snow and the steel nets were always frozen and, and the first one to make a shot would win uh, because the ball wouldn't come back. <laughs> it would be just stuck up there and we were all too short to get it, but, you know, so... It wasn't, you know, the, the games weren't long, but they were intense. And, uh, you know, I just loved it, you know, and, and, that's, and that was my background. That was my life. That's what I looked forward to, just to be able to go out and lose yourself in playing sports. And, uh, and with that background and, and the kind of a tough environment, home environment that we had at the time, uh, you know, I grew up fast. And one of the things that I learned is that no one gave you anything. You know, what you got was because you worked hard for it. You earned it, and if you didn't earn it, then you took it from somebody else that had it and if you wanted it. But, you know, no one gave you anything. So if somebody offered you something for free, there was always a string attached. There was always something that they say, wait a minute, there's, there's something not right here. And so in growing up in that environment, um, it led to uh, my girlfriend at the time uh, getting pregnant. I was 18, she was 20. And uh, we uh, ended up having a child and, you know, and through all of that, dropped out of college, went to work, you know, taking two jobs to try to make ends meet. And before long, I began hating life like everyone else uh, that I knew around me, you know, who masked their misery with uh, smiles that were brought on by shots and Iron City beers. And, uh, you know, it wasn't long before our marriage began to deteriorate and uh, its demise seemed inevitable. These were desperate times that desperate measures needed to be taken, and we were so desperate that we decided that we would move to Southern California. Last year, I had an opportunity to meet an incredible man in Christ. He was a chaplain in Major League Baseball for the Angels and the National Hockey League for the Ducks. He was the senior pastor of Kindred Community Church as well. He'd also been diagnosed with terminal cancer and given a limited lifespan. I know, we're all given a limited lifespan, but not in the way Chuck Obremsky was. We're all dying in a sense, I realize that but not in the way he was dying. We, that is, a couple of us from the radio station, interviewed him in his living room. We brought microphones, boom stands, a laptop, and all other necessary equipment to record him. He didn't have much longer this side of the grave, but his true life was about to begin. When you don't have much time left on planet Earth, your eternal perspective tends to magnify... At the news of his mortality, his preaching became more fervent. He'd always been a minister of the gospel and of God's word, but things change when you're at the gates of heaven, like he was. It reminds me of my friend David. I've known him for years, and he's had cancer the entire time with absolutely no sign of remission. When we go out Friday nights and share the gospel, or wherever we go, 
he boldly goes to every single person and gives them the gospel. Sometimes we find ourselves having trepidation, but not David. Each day could be his last, and he knows that. Interesting. Isn't this how we ought to live? Meanwhile, back at the Obremsky residence, we found ourselves in the midst of an interview we weren't exactly prepared for. We knew that Pastor Obremsky was fervent, but we hadn't realized to what extent his fervency had grown. It was encouraging and convicting. If you ask me, I honestly believe that we should invest our time in people and in learning as if we'll never die. But we ought to purify ourselves and live in holiness as if each day was our last. Don't you agree? We left the house and aired the interview a couple of weeks later. Not surprisingly, we received more requests for that interview than any other interview in recent memory. It seems that, in the midst of this thing we call life, we forget what is truly important. It's sobering to hear what one has to say when he knows he'll be meeting the Lord God Almighty any day now. We get so caught up in the affairs of this life that we forget about the life to come. Abraham never lived in a house. He always lived in a tent. He looked for a city with foundations whose builder and maker was God. Jesus said, In his Father's house are many mansions and that he goes to prepare a place for you. One day he will return to receive you to himself. Are you afraid of being so heavenly minded that you're no earthly good? You know what? That's a fallacy. You're no earthly good until you're heavenly minded. Paul said our citizenship is in heaven. In Hebrews, it says to keep your eyes fixed on Jesus the author and finisher of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is now seated at the right hand of God, ever living to make intercession for you. So what does that mean to us? Keep your mind on things above, where Christ is. So, what do you think of that? Email me at comments at a revolution of the mind. Net. But, uh, you know, it was a culture shock, you know, and so we're in this new place and, and there was a culture shock and, and in fact it was such a strange environment that my wife and I one day, we went to a local mall and we were looking around and checking into things, we didn't have any money to buy anything, we were just kind of there, you know, spending some time and this guy came up to me and he looks at me and he says, hey Fred, he goes, how have you been? And I looked at him and I was stunned and I didn't know what to say and he said, what did you do to your hair? He said, it used to be blonde, now it's brown. In fact, your eyes, man, they used to be brown, now they're blue. And if I remember right, you were 6'2". What are you, like 5'10", 5'11", now? And I looked at this guy and said, hey, man, my name's not Fred, my name's Chuck. 
And he looked, he didn't, he didn't miss a beat. He turned around, looked at his wife and said, can you believe this guy? He's even changed his name too. <laughs> you know, it's like he just had his mind made up. It didn't matter what the evidence was. And I went, man, you know what? A lot of us are like that. We've got our minds made up about something, but, it, you know, we don't examine the facts. We don't look at the evidence. And I thought, wow, you know what? Welcome to Southern California. But as strange as it was, in many ways, we hoped it would give us a fresh start, you know, a new beginning, a clean slate. And see, that's what we thought. We thought we'd move to California and we'd start all over again. We'd draw that line, you know, somewhere between Pennsylvania and Southern California. Maybe it was in Albuquerque or somewhere where we drew the line and said, that's it. We're moving. We're going to have a fresh start. Everything's going to be new. Everything's going to be better. And then you realize that when you get here, somehow or another, all your problems snuck into the U-Haul with you. And, uh, and it wasn't any better here than it was there. Weather was nicer, but as far as our relationship was concerned, the things that were going on, all the difficulties we were struggling with, it didn't change. A guy came in today and said that there are two kinds of Christians there are kingdom builders and there are empire builders and we are to be the kingdom builders because the important thing is getting people saved the whole purpose of the Christian life is to get more people to come to heaven and uh, one day my wife calls me from the office and she says hey I got great news for you And I said, oh, did you get the other job? And she goes, oh, no, that's not it. The people I'm working for want to interview you. I think they want to offer you a job. So one day, the guy who hires me, he and his wife invite my wife and I to come to their house for lunch. And, you know, not being the smooth guy that I am now since I've been in Southern California as long as I've been, he said, do you want to have lunch with us? And I said, what do we have? <laughs> because I knew, you know, that maybe I needed to stop and eat before I got there. And he goes, you know, and he said, well, we're going to have steak. I said, steak, now you're talking. He said, you know, what I was thinking, why don't you, in fact, here's what we'll do. Why don't you meet us at church on Sunday, and then we'll go have steak after. Church, steak church steak the battle was taking place church or steak you know I was like now I thought you know what I can go to church I've been to church before I can do other things I can tour the universe I can take notes on stuff I need to be doing for the week I can put up with that for steak so we did we go to church and we went with them and we go afterwards and we were at their house and we're having this barbecue out back and the gals are inside and so we're out back and I finally look at the guy I said what is up with you he goes, what do you mean? I said, what, what, what makes you tick, man? I've never met anybody like you people. It's like I've never worked in a place like this, never met with anybody like this. And he looked at me and he said, well, I'm a Christian. And you know what I did? I went, wow, so am I. I said, that's great. I thought, wow, man, this is good. It kind of scared me. I didn't know what was going on. I said, but I'm a Christian. I went, so am I. He goes, really? He goes, when did you become a Christian? No one ever asked me that. I always got, I mean, that, that, so am I, always got me through life. And now it was like, well, when did you become one? I'm like, when did I become one? And the brain started cranking. When did I become one? When did I become one? I don't know the answer to this. It's just like a pop quiz. And I started throwing out stuff to him. Uh-oh, I was baptized as a baby. He just looked at me. No? No? Ah, 
married, we were married in a church and nothing was working. And finally, I just stood there and he looked at me and said, hey, would you mind if I told you how a person becomes a Christian? And I'm thinking to myself, I'd love for you to tell me, not because I really care to know, but if I'm ever asked the question again, I got a better answer, man. I'm telling you right now, there's no way I'm going to be caught like this ever again. And he just, you know, he went on to just share with me. He says, you know, the Bible says that all, all of us are sinners, that we're born into the world, you know, alienated from God, that we're born into the world, you know, in rebellion against God. It's, it's, we're predisposed. It's a, it's a congenital birth defect. And we may not like it, but the evidence is all around us. And, and I said, well, wait a minute. I mean, that's kind of, you know, that's kind of offensive to tell somebody, hey, you know what, you're a sinner. It's like, what does that mean? Well, the body, he said, well, let me ask you this question. He says, are you perfect? Well, no, but, but I'm not that bad. And I, and, I, and I really wasn't. Compared to some of the guys that I knew that, you know, went to jail for stuff they did, I never went to jail. And then that just doesn't work because it's all relative. It's all subjective. And he goes, well, are you perfect? I said, no, nobody's perfect. And he went, you know what? That's exactly the point. Nobody's perfect. That all of us are, are, you know, flawed before God, perfect God. And you're not perfect, I'm not perfect. And you kind of go, wow, man, that, that could be the case. What he said makes sense. What he said, there's evidence for. What he said, I can examine. What he said, I need to deal with. I don't want to because I don't want God interfering with my life. I don't want anybody telling me what to do. And if there's a God, I got a feeling he wants to tell me what to do. One day, it was in 1978, it was February 16th, we were sitting at a dinner, it was for Valentine's Day, and I heard again another person share the same thing that I'd been hearing from a number of different people, how Jesus Christ changed their life, how they acknowledged their guilt before God, how they believed that Jesus died for them, how He rose again from the dead. They received him as their savior, whatever the verbiage is that anybody wants to use. And I saw another example and more evidence of how God had truly changed a person's life. And it got to the point where I needed to make a decision. Was I going to continue to run from God and ignore all the evidence? Or was I going to throw up my hands and say, that's it, I surrender? You know, one of the guys that I worked with in the NFL said, you know what, I was the fastest man in the NFL but I could not run the love of God. And there was a point where I just gave up. And that night, I gave up. I said, you know what? The evidence is overwhelming. I've heard enough. I've seen enough. um, And and it's time for me to get serious with God. I said, God, forgive me. Because I'm guilty as charged. I don't have any defense for any of the accusations that are made against me. And I believe that Jesus Christ lived the life on this earth. I believe history proves that he died on the cross. I believe history proves he rose again from the dead. 
I believe his claims that he was, you know, God in human flesh who came to die for our sins so that we'd never be held accountable to those who believe. And the best of my understanding right here, right now, I believe that Jesus Christ died for my sins. And I want to invite him into my life. And my life's never been the same since then. And so I would challenge you to consider the claims of Christ. Say you will. Say you won't. Say you'll do what I don't. Say you're true. Say to me. C'est la vie. This has been a revolution of the mind. This episode was entitled A Life Worth Living. Would you like to know more? Go to a revolution of the mind.net. Email us at comments at a revolution of the mind.net.